last week we saw just an incredible divide mm. in our politics. Like something I mean, that nobody was really expecting. We thought we were all on the same team here. But... Exactly. Like, who would have thought that we would have gone this far apart since exactly. 2016? Did you realize it wasn't 2016 anymore? This is insane. I, what happened? I feel like we're, I feel like we're always going to live there. Yeah. But it, it's the same case here because what we thought were like kind of two allies in this horse race um, in which we can only crown one champion. Uh, now we've seen just fissures and divisions between these two. Of course, I'm talking about the award season competition between Parasite and 1917. Yeah. Um, mm. Initially, it seemed like both of these were in the running for an award season. I, I thought they could be like co-Best Picture winners. No, Greg, because as as Sam Mendes famously says, there's no way a Korean film would ever win Best Picture. Yeah. It's just not going <laughs> to yeah. happen. He said and, that. And, I, I know. And he might as well have just spit in the face of every Asian person in America when he said that. <laughs> I'm slandering. I, 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 I'm slandering poor Sam Mendes. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> yeah, I genuinely hope people know what we're talking about. But John, go ahead. Give us, give us the horse race. Give us the gold derby on two movies that you haven't seen yet. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. They like the 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 Academy knows the backlash, but for some reason, when it comes to picking the nominees, that just doesn't come into the calculus. But when it actually comes to no. picking the winners, that can affect how they're going to actually vote. So I, even though it is probably going to be 1917, I do foresee a possibility that it could be Parasite. Much in the same way everyone thought it was going to be La La Land and it turned out to be Moonlight. Yeah, so they can upset you sometimes. Yeah, so here's, here's where the, the real horse race comes in, in mm-hmm. that we're recording this the Sunday following the SAG Awards. Mm-hmm. And Parasite was nominated for Best Ensemble and actually won. Some people think that's a surprise because there aren't really... And you, you could argue like there aren't any showy performances, hence why... None of the actors like Song uh, Kang Ho or any, uh, the other, the family that stars in the movie, none of them got get any individual accolades because mm-hmm. it's not really showy performances. It's them as an ensemble. So exactly. it makes sense that they would win this award. I mean, there's but also the be- fact that you're judging actors in a language that you're not familiar with and yeah. also they always they always use that uh that that excuse that oh you know we're, it's it's uh, the academy is mostly americans they're trying to judge foreign films based on like foreign languages and dialects and just cultural things that obviously a south Cor- a korean audience would understand that you know american philistines would not yeah well more importantly is that the academy is mostly made up of actors mm-hmm. so they're thinking oh if they find Parasite worthy of winning in their own guild. Perhaps mm. they'll find it worthy of awarding in the in the academy itself. So this is why it suddenly become a. It usually usually the field narrows down to two when that's that's the case here. Okay. Yeah. Really? It's now granted, be... <laughs> you, you I've only seen one of the two f- films. You haven't seen either of them, so mm-hmm. this is really just a moot point. Precisely. Yeah. And um, it's also the Academy Awards, and who cares? Who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's it's a terrible arbiter. Uh, well, you you astutely pointed out it's a terrible TV show. Everybody complains about it every year, even though we do tune in. Mm-hmm. And just as bad is that it's it's barely even like a good measure of film quality anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that back in the '70s, when these huge hits like Jaws and Star Wars like actually did compete for Best Picture Oscars, maybe you could argue that. The awards were kind of aligning with cultural taste, um, but now it's all just politicking and storylines. Like, oh, it's this actor or actress's turn. Like, you know, yeah. we're gonna give them, we're gonna give them a statuette for a mediocre performance. Um, not <coughs> Judy, <laughs> Renee Zellweger. And I'm sorry, I just got something in my throat. It's winter, so you know. It, <laughs> 
Well, what uh, what's confusing me and what makes it especially weird is the fact that Joker has made a ton of money. Audiences did seem to react to it, I guess, and critics didn't really care for it. And obviously, there's a huge backlash against that movie, which I would say is the forerunner. Um, but I guess not. You're more the insider, so you would know. I yeah, <laughs> not not more the insider. I think that's based on a a somewhat an old predictor, which was which. Which movie has the most amount of nominees? Mm-hmm. That would generally take home the Best Picture Oscar. Um, that hasn't been the case for a little bit. I, I think I saw that trend kind of turn when. Uh, do you remember that Lincoln got yes. the most amount of nominees back in 2012? But then Argo mm-hmm. was like the the little underdog that could. And yeah, it's about yeah. the magic of movies. Great mixed metaphor. Great <laughs> underdog that could. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I also love the fact that someone astutely pointed out it's like if Joaquin Phoenix wins. For actor, it'll be the first instance of a character winning more than actually a woman as a director. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which is really embarrassing, given the fact that there was a a large swath of uh, female-directed movies this year, and none of them got nominated for Best Director. Because we've got to keep giving awards to fucking Quentin Tarantino, don't we? Jeez. (laughs) I know, and this is where I think campaigning comes in, because... I, I believe the farewell, like A24, did release a lot of great movies directed by women this year. However, they do not have the might that, say, a Sony has in mm-hmm. terms of actually politicking and campaigning for award seasons. So. Or the Warner Brothers, obviously. I think Warner Brothers has kind of yeah. has taken that throne and ran with it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it, just while we're on this point and while I'm annoyed, um, <laughs> yes, Joker did get the most amount of nominees this year. Uh, however... I, I, what makes the Academy Awards even a worse arbiter of taste is that people just like, oh, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, we'll we'll uh, award it accolades for everything. Like we'll just go like, oh, Joker had a great performance. Uh, we'll give it to. We'll also give it best director, best editing, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. best musical score, just because. And it's hard to distinguish these things, but particularly Joker had a terrible musical score. <laughs> I'm sorry, God bless that. Some that, people that really artist. liked it. Some people thought it was very interesting. I didn't particularly yeah. notice it, so I can't really say no, if it was yeah. good or bad. No, it's just a dirge. It's just an yeah. obvious, very droning going on. So mm. I know, God bless that Icelandic artist who I, I believe she's one of the few like women to be nominated for best score. But that, that this is not a score worth. <laughs> well, that's great. This is not a score worth uh, honoring. I don't think so. Well, again, like, and it's so weird because it wasn't until what what was the movie that Scorsese finally won for? The Departed, John. Come the on. Departed. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. It's like it took them forever to recognize Scorsese officially, and yet here's someone jumping in as like in you know Scorsese shy shoes, like doing Scorsese <laughs> cosplay, and and the Academy can't get enough of it apparently. Yes. So I don't. I just I'm so tired. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thankfully, we won't have to talk about this much longer because the awards are, are way sooner, which mm. I appreciate. Exactly. And Cats got nothing. What happened? <laughs> John, are you ready to talk about Cats? Are you ready to, you know, I'm, can we tease I, them with that? Or? I, I mean, sooner rather than later, I hope. I mean, I feel it. Le- it's, it's, the problem is Doolittle came in and just recaptured <laughs> the boondoggle imagination of every American. Like, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and the fact that they were both universal products makes me think that 
that they were like Jack Donaghy in that one episode of uh, 30 Rock where he's trying to tank the network. <laughs> They're trying to tank the studio and just be like, Disney, take us. <laughs> see, Give but, us a big fat golden parachute. <laughs> see, but that's what's weird. Like, that's why they're interesting juxtaposition in terms of like contrast. It's like cats. No one at any point said, stop, this is terrible. Whereas <laughs> yeah. everyone can see the meddling from behind the scenes when it comes to Doolittle. It's like, uh, oh, shoot. It's not funny enough. We need more jokes. We need more punch up. And has there ever been a movie where they thought, oh, it needs more jokes, and then they made it funnier? No, that never happens. Yeah. <laughs> it never works. No. no amount of punch-up in the world will ever work. <laughs> but they keep trying. <laughs> they keep doing yeah. it. <laughs> I know some people are also questioning the choice of Robert Downey Jr. in this role, playing, playing a Welshman or something. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true to the original character. Also hiring writer-director Stephen Gagan. Uh, best known for that is a very interesting political choice. dramas. Yeah, <laughs> now doing a children's film, but nobody's laying this blame at the feet of one Joe Roth. John, do you know who Joe Roth is? I'm unfamiliar with the name. Who's Joe Roth? Okay, he's so he's a powerhouse producer, mm-hmm. kind of like middle of the road in terms of like producing prowess. Like, um, I, I mean, he had a few big studio projects. However, come 2010, and he is one of the the one of the main imaginations behind a live-action remake of Alice in Wonderland. Oh. Yes. And so a lot of people say, like, can blame Tim Burton for starting this trend of live-action Disney remakes, particularly in 3D with garish effects and everything. Mm-hmm. I think we can lay it at the feet of Joe Roth, because every movie that he's produced since then has come from the same template, from Maleficent to uh, now Doolittle. Like, having yeah. that, that that font, <laughs> that particular... <laughs> that golden kind font. Kind of gothic font. Yeah, that gothic yeah. font, too, with the, the distinctive, mm-hmm. like, sharp-pointed serifs and... A lot of special again, effects, very garish color schemes, yeah. Huh, yeah, muddled cinematography. I, I mean, I'm wondering when will when will this man? Um, I know he got a billion dollars with the original with that Alice in Wonderland remake. But however, when will when will his feet be put to the fire, and will he his his um sad creative visions like suddenly you know be brought down a peg? Until the American people get some taste, I guess. I don't know. And, yeah. um, it's not like Doolittle did bad this Actually, no, yeah, you're right. Doolittle didn't do particularly well, so I guess, uh, I don't know, yeah. yeah. Good, well, that's maybe the thing. Doolittle well, is the end of his empire, Greg. Maybe that's his, yeah. his, his Julius Caesar moment. E2, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I think also Robert Downey Jr. the day of recording came out with some comments about blackface, and it's just like, oh, no, why can't everyone just keep I, their mouth yeah. shut? Yeah. <laughs> Well, to be fair, uh-huh. if you want to, if you want a time machine to another world, remember that he got nominated for an Oscar for a role in which he's prominently played, displayed in blackface. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that was the joke, and yeah, that's I know. But I, you're right; they shouldn't have given it to him. Like, was it like a joke <laughs> nomination? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Nothing makes Probably. sense. I'm so tired. Yeah. I'm so tired. <laughs> this podcast makes me exhausted. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it reminds me of all these terrible things that are happening all the time. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing we can do to stop well, it. That's what podcasts do. They're all, I they're guess all that's current true. events and news. <laughs> this is this is true. Yeah. What do you want to listen to? One of those like role playing podcasts where they play like uh, Dungeons and Dragons or some other kind of role playing. So game? there is there is that one podcast called Tales of Magic. See, the thing is, like, if I ever were to get in on one of those, I'd have to, like, get in on the ground floor, like, literally the first episode. And I just, and so that one came out fairly recently. That one only came out, like, a few months ago. So that one I could catch up on. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just can't, I can't, I can't, 
I can't do like fiction podcasts, and that's like very fiction adjacent. Like the the joy of watching Dan Harmon do it is the fact that he always is trying to like meta commentating it. You know, like that's the joy of it. That's the fun. Like they mm-hmm. treat it like an improv session, which I know is what I'm sure Root Tales of Magic is doing that as well. But you know that one seems a little more self serious. It's the fact that no one's breaking, and it's like no, I can't I can't handle that level of dedication. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, come on, well, John. Let's 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 cast that out of everybody's mind, mm, and not yes. remind them of another podcast. They're listening to this one. I mean, the, if if people had to guess, they're like, "What? Two white guys talking about movies? Haven't I seen this podcast before?" <laughs> no, you haven't. God damn it. Okay. Yes, this is a lot like those other podcasts where two guys talk about movies. But no, this is more of like a let's say a replica. Let's say that it's mm-hmm. kind of like adjacent to those podcasts. I mean, you might go as far as to say. It's more of a certified copy. So, uh, you were saying, <clears throat> yeah, it was difficult to be simple? Is that it? Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. Well, we're not worms, right? We're not supposed to be simple, just uh, complex beings. And where's the line between simple person and sim- simple mind? Where's the line? <laughs> Tell me. There isn't a simple answer. My sister says, uh, no struggle. Only idiots work hard in life. It's her belief. You shouldn't be around things that make problems, like uh, uh, gas fire is better than a real fire. Just flick the switch. Safer, easier. She's married to the simplest man on earth. To her, he's the best man alive. He stammers. Uh, Marie! For her, it's a love song. Well, I can understand that he's lingering over her name. Mm-hmm. Well, she, she insists uh, they got it wrong. Why they registered name at, at birth? You know, she said the right spelling of my name is Marie. She loves the summer. She sounds amazing. She is. Do you like what I did there? I yeah. just pulled John, it. You might have pulled it full I think you might have blown people's minds or baffled them even more. <laughs> because I'm sure nobody's heard of certified copy. At least outside of film snob circles, nobody's heard of it. Looking at the Wikipedia page in front of me, it gets a very distinct uh, notation as an art film. Mm. Very few movies get that, that designation on Wikipedia. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm, have to I'm surprised. That later. It, it doesn't pop up a lot as, as somebody who does all their most thorough research of movies on Wikipedia. <laughs> I find it doesn't come up very often. Usually, it's, I'm, it's I'm not as professional. For... I, I rely on the uh, trivia section of IMDb for all my research. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But people are probably wondering what the hell is certified copy? And, well, mm. I'm here to help. So, this is a movie that let's say lit up critic circles back in 2010 when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, mm-hmm. Juliette Binoche won for Best Actress, and it was another, uh, let's say, a creative triumph for its uh, Iranian director, Abbas Kiristami. Uh, this is a director who does kind of a low-key personal dramas, but always tries to like mess with your perception. Uh, mm-hmm. His other big triumph was a, a movie released in 1990 called Close Up. Which mm-hmm. is like a, a like a phony documentary, like a, a director like infiltrates in this family and and fools them into thinking that they're going to star in one of his movies when really they're kind of starring in this documentary instead. <laughs> yeah, so he loves to like kind of play around with the form. Mm-hmm. And part of the, and like you said, the reason why I 
wanted to do this movie this week is because I wanted to do something by an Iranian film director. And I wish I could find something that was a little more kind of Iranian adjacent, or at least something that was filmed in Iran featuring Iranian people. But sadly, I just, this was the first thing that kind of came up on the Criterion channel. And so that's why we're doing it this week. And yes, you're right. I could, I remember in the summer of 2010, everyone lauding it like, oh, this you have to go see. And it obviously lightened up, you know, the critic circles and stuff like that. But yeah, it was kind of like, slowly forgotten but it still kind of yeah. stuck out in my head i, I don't so. think it's been forgotten but mm-hmm. and one thing that's really reminded me of it is it's kind of talked in the same hushed tones as parasite mm-hmm. parasite another like huge award winner at a con- at the con film festival like uh, critics laud it but they always like talk around it like oh you have to see it for yourself oh, you see what it's really about yeah. we can't spoil it for you yeah <laughs> so i was i was really intrigued i was glad that you chose this movie because i was really intrigued to f- finally see what the hell everybody's talking about mm-hmm. um john was it worth the wait um i say so yes i really okay. like this movie i really dug it a lot because much in the same vein of you know tokyo tokyo story or who's afraid of virginia wolf it's couples arguing around the issue and uh, <laughs> i really i don't know why but i really get into movies like that and so i really enjoyed it a lot and it's nice to know that, yes, this is this kind of director's trademark is the fact that he kind of messes with your perceptions because obviously when this movie opens, you think you have an idea of what this relationship is and then it turns out to be something completely different. Because when it first opens, it's like you can tell that something is off about yeah. these two and the way they interact. And then as the movie kind of unfurls, you kind of realize, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, wait, is that really what's going on? Hmm, is this game? Like, it, yeah. it, it's, it, it, kind of, it works on so many kind of levels that I, I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Okay, yeah, I mean, we should probably set up that this is about a, a kind of British intellectual mm-hmm. who has written a, a very formative essay. James on... Miller is his name. Yes. <laughs> James Miller, played by, I don't, I don't want to call him an amateur actor, but somebody who's who's a trained opera singer. Yeah, he's, he's not a, a screen actor. By... <laughs> this was his first screen role, and you could not tell because he is so amazing in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> he's so he's good. Sunny. Yeah, and, it, and it's a shame he hasn't done a lot of movies since, and is, I think one of the other like great uh, foreign language film triumphs he did after this was uh, Amour, where he plays like the English pud. He plays like this useless <laughs> husband for the for, for the uh, the son-in-law for the couple that's at the center of the movie. But anyway, mm-hmm. he's traveled to Italy um, to kind of sell and, and laud, or at least like receive acclaim for this great essay that he's wrote on the the merits of not forgeries but like copies of great works of art mm-hmm. and whether they're. Yeah, and whether they they are like as worthy or as um, the uh, as the original, and basically discuss on the nature of originality. Um, and during this talk, we're int- we're also introduced to Juliette Binoche, who seems to listen very intently. She seems like a a huge fan because you see she's trying to get his autograph like even before he started speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also has a son in tow, so that's like kind of her. That's where her attention's divided between like intent focus on this man and focusing on her terrible shithead son, um, mm-hmm. as most French <laughs> kids are. <laughs> Yeah, and the movie sets you up to think that she's just kind of a super fan, and uh, she gives uh, her number and her address to the translator who was in charge of translating the essay, Mm -hmm. and so that's how they inevitably kind of meet up. And now, but first I want to, like, kind of talk about your perception of the movie, because again, this is all played very subtly. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any music, or at least, like, non-diegetic music in the movie. Yep. A lot of long takes, very realistic style. Yep. But I kind of like clocked immediately. There's something very unique about this like kind of relationship, and I had a feeling like immediately 
that is like they are like uh, they are lovers, and that is actually his son. Did you oh. feel that perception? Like immediately? no, I did not get that perception immediately. Oh, okay, there's definitely uh, you're right, uh, hints of romance, obviously, because mm-hmm. the way she kind of looks at him, it's very kind of fawning, and even the kid can clock from a mile away. It's like he she's very interested in him. Um, mm-hmm. The only kind of hint at their prior relationship, though, is that the kid, when he's being a little shit, asks about the surname, and so. But I didn't get the sense that they had ever met before this point. And again, the movie's trying to set you up this idea that they've never met before. That this yeah. is like their first interaction. Because she goes to his her antique store, and it's a, it's a very awkward interaction. And it's mm-hmm. like, do you want to stay here, or should we go? Like, well, where do we go? Yeah, and, exactly. Like, clearly, yeah, yeah it, it's set up to make you think that they've never met before. But the way they're interacting, it's, it's way too casual. And she kind of quickly gets, like, annoyed with him, as if she is kind of familiar with him and his behavior. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the interesting thing about the character, is that there is something kind of magnetic about the way he's like aloof and erudite and very, very smart, (laughs) but also like insufferable at the same time because he's so detached. It's like, you can't really have a normal conversation with him. And that's what, that's the interesting interplay at the very beginning is like, again, it sets you up to think that they've never met before. So it's like their aloof conversation would play as like, Oh, fun banter for two people who've never met before. But since they do have a prior relationship, this is annoying. This is a pain in the ass to deal with. Yeah. And as she explains, because I thought the their discussion, because I knew this would be uh, like them over discussing over the course of the day, mm-hmm. I thought they would just be talking about the nature of originality in art versus like um, copies or forgeries or replications. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be subtextual for what's really going on, but no, the conversation then then does shift. Like, oh, you get to be the philosopher, you get to like you know live on your ivory tower, whereas mm-hmm. I, Julia Pinoche's character, has to live in the shit and look after her stupid son, <laughs> yep, and <laughs> like uh, run this small business, and you know, so that that's really where the na- where the kind of movie turns, and also where like you kind of the first sign that this that there's more than meets the eye in this relationship. And that really hits home when they do finally arrive at this coffee shop and mm-hmm. he tells her a story and it's clear that she's the subject of the story. Yes. And yeah, again, very dramatic because like Julia Binoche, incredible actress, like <laughs> betraying nothing on her face except for like a single tear when you kind of realize that, oh, she's talking about, he, he's talking about her and mm-hmm. observing her and her son. Yeah. And again, like it goes back to this whole theme of like distance. Like mm-hmm. he is the father of the son, he is the husband, but yet he he later explains it's like, Well, I have my own life. He like he's so distant and above everything because again, he's a professor. He has to examine everything from a distance, like from afar. And again, he he's completely oblivious to her suffering and what they have to do on a daily basis as he gets to gallivant across Europe like an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Come fa a saperlo? Si vede. Da dove viene, signora? Io? Da, dalla Francia. E dove ha imparato l'italiano? Uh, vivo da cinque anni in Italia. E dove? A prima a Firenze, adesso ad Arezzo. E come mai parlate in inglese? Lui è inglese. E non parla la sua lingua? No, no. Neanche l'italiano? No. Parla solo la propria lingua? Sì, sì. E lei invece parla anche la sua brava? Sì. Non gli interessano le lingue, veramente non gli interessa niente. 
trarre in se stesso e nel suo lavoro. È eh, meglio così. Un uomo deve amare il suo lavoro. E noi donne? E questo lo tiene occupato e noi viviamo la nostra vita. Non mi sono sposata per stare da sola. Mi piacerebbe vivere la mia vita con mio marito. Mm. So this this is where yeah like up to this point like I'm really intrigued but this is where the turn happens. Mm -hmm. And this is where it, it for me like like I'm really I'm really intrigued but also like a little frustrated here because now it seems like yes they are the um the woman who owns the coffee shop or is serving them mm -hmm. kind of clocks immediately that or at least presumes that they're husband and wife even though the audience doesn't have doesn't have that confirmation yet. Yeah, and even and when she, yeah, and even when she says like, "Oh, she thought we were husband and wife," ha ha ha. Like again, she even plays it off as a joke, like because again, mm -hmm. they don't act like a husband and wife, so yeah, yeah, we have no assumption that they would be. Yeah, and then she plays along, and then he comes back, and then from here, it is as if they are husband and wife, mm -hmm. which I maybe because I I I had this assumption about the couple of you know, I thought they were estranged lover estranged lovers mm. but now they are talking as if they are husband and wife and they they've had this estrangement or something okay and yeah I, I was I was intrigued but also like a little frustrated by the ambiguity or it like kind of leans too hard in that direction um see, see it didn't bother me that much on. it totally worked for me um mostly because you're right while I you're absolutely right. Like while they do kind of approach it as strangers, you are getting the sense early on that she knows him or like is kind of harboring something before they mm -hmm. really meet. And you're right. After this point, like after it kind of shifts, yes, you can't really like kind of walk back from that. But I think what I love about the movie is the fact that it leans into that now and then it does become like a lover spat full frontal. Like mm. And there's there's a moment where they're talking about like this fountain and you know obviously he, they have very differing opinions about the the quality of this fountain and then she tries to embarrass him by getting other people involved in this, yeah. in this conversation and this and the older gentleman that they end up roping into this conversation even he can tell that they're lovers and they're having an issue he's like look 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 just let me give you some some fatherly advice you know yeah. just put your hand on her back and you know everything will be okay mm. yeah. <laughs> and it's very kind it's it's weird because it's like it's a serious fight about their lives, but it's also like you can mm -hmm. tell that it's a game to them as well. Like these kind of routines that couples get in, it's like they're they're serious issues that they're clearly not dealing with, but it's also like a fun game for them, and that's what keeps them alive at the same time. And especially kind of comes to the front, uh, the forefront when they go to the restaurant, and you know he like he. he really gets worked up because at this point yeah. he's been kind of like laissez-faire and kind of like meek and then when they get to the restaurant you know he's hungry and you know the waiter is like an asshole and he won't pay attention to him and then the <laughs> wine ends up being bad and you know he's like doing the kind of over-exaggerated you know frustrated acting that couples do and it also kind of really leans into the disconnect with them because it's all it's it's a it's a shot reverse shot of just them in the mm -hmm. frame they're never in the same frame at the same time but then they're also arguing in different languages he speaks english yeah. she she speaks french so mm -hmm. there's there's so many like levels of the disagreement they're having and it, it that's also the only scene where it gets like i would say to a certain level of american drama because they're they're fighting yeah. and it's you know it gets theatrical <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden <laughs> the backbone of american drama is screaming stuff <laughs> yes exactly <laughs>
<laughs> Whereas before it was all about like the understated like European. Oh, we're walking through Tuscany. <laughs> um, but that yeah. you know the restaurant scene is the only the the part that came alive the most for me because I'm Borsch American. So I'm like, yes, scream at each other. <laughs> it's not really about the wine, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I think I. I was kind of losing my connection at this point. I think when they do delve deeper into this game, mm-hmm. like, cause I, I was emotionally invested in this relationship cause I began with the perception that they are strange lovers mm-hmm. when it's possible that they, again, another like kind of playing with the movie's ambiguity, it's possible that they are complete strangers at the beginning of the movie. Uh, we don't know. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll never know. Cause it's a European drama. And so <laughs> it's ob- intentionally obtuse. Yeah. So it, like I, I, started it like kind of started to give me a headache like at this scene because we we start to see the limits of this actor's like ability when he has to get all huffy like i think he's much more like natural is kind of cool and detached like mm-hmm. but, but when you have to like i, I don't know convincingly play anger like yeah. you know like the way he kind of like shakes his head no and you're right and you could also argue that if this is a game he's like obviously playing it up as like oh we're having a big blow up fight in the middle Mm -hmm. of a restaurant like a couple would you know that kind of thing yeah well i also don't like how it kind of turns on a dime Mm, that's true it does it does kind of feel like it comes out of nowhere yeah because she's she's clearly fawning over him but this is also the first time where she tries to like i I don't know like like win his affections like Mm -hmm. she immediately rushes to the bathroom puts on lipstick and these like gorgeous earrings yeah i I won't say gorgeous but let's say ostentatious earrings Mm -hmm. and then he comes back and that's when he's like done a complete 182 instead of being like aloof like now he's he's angry and and you're right like i i feel like i feel like it's a a different mode like like the movie switched gears and like I still like want to go with it, but like I really want to be genuinely invested in it and not like not play the game. Mm. But the movie's kind of confronting me with the game because that's all that's what like dramatic movies are. It's people yeah. pretending. So, I mean, yeah, but that, it, I mean, it, it is... kind of like catches you. It's like movies about voyeurism. Kind <laughs> of, like... <laughs> but that is kind of their interaction, even in the earlier on in the film before we really know that they know each other, like, this is their kind of, like, game, this is kind of their M.O., is the fact that mm-hmm. Julia Binoche does kind of flip on a dime. Like, early on, when she's, like, giving out the number and greeting him, like, at the store, it's like she's she's kind of, like, mousy. She's like a schoolgirl. It's like, okay, whatever you want to do. And then when they get into the car, you know, she starts getting annoyed, and, like, mm-hmm. it gets ba- it, she gets back into that mode of, like, oh, yeah, this is my asshole husband. It's kind of, like, the same thing. It's like, oh, we're just going to sit down at a nice restaurant, and then all of a sudden they're back into, like, good mode, but he's in the bad mode. It, they're, they're constantly kind of, like, switching sides and kind of, like, flipping, and you're right, that can get, like, frustrated or frustrating with how understated it all is. But you could also say, like, that's just the level of acting that's on display here. It's the fact that they can, like, flip on a dime, and it's still kind of believable. Yeah. And I'll also give credit to the filmmaking, because, as you said, the way it's shot, it's like they're they're practically looking down the barrel of the lens. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're they're completely separated during this argument. And also, like, just uh, prior to that, all, like, the complete mise-en-scene, the fact that uh, Abbas, uh, Kiristami uses like this little uh, Florentine village like to the mm-hmm. best of its ability and has has the characters like walk down these down these stone steps and in and out of shadow and stuff like that like it's it's wonderful and then here like the camera's locked down and it's like it shows you how the movie how this kind of relationship has turned on a dime and the, and the, mm-hmm. the direction is very subtly reflecting that so yeah, like not just credit to great performances but also great direction and, and what the camera's doing as well. Vous êtes un homme érudit, sérieux, mais euh, vous pourriez être mon fils. 
Et c'est pour cette raison que j'aimerais me permettre de vous donner un conseil paternel. Je peux Je vous écoute. D'abord, je voudrais vous poser une question. Je suis curieux de savoir si... Non, okay, allons directement au fait. Je pense que la seule chose qu'elle demande, c'est que vous marchiez à côté d'elle et que vous posiez votre main sur son épaule. C'est tout ce qu'elle attend. Mais pour elle, c'est vital. Je ne sais pas ce qui s'est passé entre vous. Je ne veux pas le savoir. D'ailleurs, qu'importe. Et puis ça ne me regarde pas. Mais tous vos problèmes pourraient être effacés par un simple geste. Ce geste, faites-le. I mean, I think this movie works on a lot of different levels. I think it's, I think mm -hmm. it's, uh, I, dare I say, masterpiece. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> it. I really thought it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, again, like this, the argument kind of lost me, and I wanted to see what you thought of how it ultimately ends. Again, as it must, ambiguously. Yes, exactly. Because they they go to a hotel, and again, this is where it seems like the game is really like kind of coming out in its most obvious form because she's like, you know, oh, pick out the uh, the hotel we were at. And of course he doesn't know mm -hmm. because either because he, he says he can't remember but because it's possible that this this night never happened. Yes. Their wedding night never really happened. So, And the other interesting thing is the fact that, oh, like she, we never actually see the innkeeper. She kind of like That's speaks true, to yeah. nobody and then they just end up at a room and again she's like, oh, don't you remember? Like, look out the window and see and like he's like no and then he's like oh your memory's terrible look out this window do you see it no <laughs> like <laughs> yeah and it's also you know he's got an appointment like he said he has to be on the at the train by nine and so mm. at this point he's yeah he's kind of like lost interest in the game and um yeah yeah well, and it also it, it also kind of pulls it back to what i thought their original relationship was like you know hey hey don't leave me to be a single mother <laughs> like you're <laughs> yes, the father of this kid <laughs> stay with me mm-hmm and again, she's kind of using her feminine, and it and it works back on the original assumption that I had of their relationship, mm. and it's no longer about the game, and that's what kind of drew me back. And then, but he, ice water in his veins, <laughs> yes, does not give a shit. <laughs> no, cold blooded. I got to be on my train at nine. Yeah, and so it, it kind of like won me back. Like, mm. <laughs> and of course, the and, uh, ending on a great final shot. It's another like close up of him, and again, not like. In terms of yeah, like but it's the him at the urinal. In his face. <laughs> What's up? It's him at the urinal, though. Oh, that's <laughs> like true, that's yeah. the thing that always that's the thing that kind of bothered me at the la as the last scene. It's like really him at the urinal. I I understand like you wanting to like linger on him, and the other mm -hmm. thing too is the way it's framed. Like you know he's looking away from the window as he walks by. You see the bells clanging. Like it's it's you think it's like non diegetic sound, and then you see the bells are actually clanging. It's diegetic, mm -hmm. and maybe that's what she wanted him to look at. Maybe that's what she wanted him to appreciate. Who knows? But uh, yeah. yeah, it's I don't know the fact that you know he's peeing in the scene just kind of like <laughs> rubbed me the wrong way. But whatever. <laughs> no, I thought he was at the sink. I thought that was the sink. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> it's ambiguous. We'll, it'll, we'll leave it up we to his never own know. Yeah, yeah. Did you think he was urinating, or do you think he was washing his hands? <laughs> Watch my 20-minute YouTube video. The ending yeah. of Certified Coffee Explained. <laughs> it's got the thumbnail with a big red arrow. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry I didn't give my overall impression at the beginning, mm -hmm. but you're you're right. It's 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 very good, mm -hmm. and like just 
yeah, I could see why it captured so many imaginations. Maybe because they saw themselves in this in this <laughs> essayist who's who's fond over and, and a bit aloof. Like, who, yeah. I, and again, pretty dang handsome. Like, who wouldn't want to look? Who wouldn't mm. want to be like that? I hope <laughs> I look but, good, that good at that age. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Like, what is a what is a particularly like such a seemingly simple movie? brilliantly directed taking advantage of these wonderful performances in this beautiful location like it's so filled with like subtext and ambiguity and you could really like dig into it mm-hmm. so yeah it is i i dare i say like as an amazing achievement as these critics said it was 10 years ago mm. i really enjoyed it and um mm. like i said I, I wish i could find something a little more iranian direct but yeah, like this is still a fantastic movie, and I'm glad we get mm. to see it and bring it to the world. More attention to it <laughs> yes. with our massive audience, with our massive sway. <laughs> You're gonna well, let's, st- say, let's say we're bridging the gap hmm. between popular entertainment and more, I don't want to use the word challenging, but like kind of richer fare. Mm-hmm. There's something here for everybody. That is true, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's going to be you know, maroons out there who are like, this is boring. <laughs> Do they know each other or don't they? I'm confused. <laughs> Why? Well, I don't want to read the subtitle. Why can't they just talk English? <laughs> they know English. Just speak English. Gosh. I know. Make that easy on me. I know. And Italian? Come on. <laughs> I guess that, that if I did have one complaint, it is kind of aggressively, annoyingly European. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Like walking around Tuscany. Oh, it's like an open yeah. air museum. <laughs> yeah, everything's free. Yep. <laughs> Europeans are the worst. I know. It's a Sunday, so everything's closed. Nobody's working. Nope. <laughs> I mean, what right does Julia Binoche have to complain? They have like universal childcare over there, right? Come on. I, well, again, she's she's raised raised a French son. Oh. She has. She has nobody to blame but herself. That's I true. Mean. The yeah. kid's probably smoking by now. Yep. That's right. Everybody in France under the age of 18. Awful. Terrible little Helen. (laughs) Beast goblin. Terrible little shits. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Greg, we already wholeheartedly recommended this movie, but I think we have a little bit room for even more recommendations. What do you say? Absolutely, John. I mean, if you're just tuning in, hello, welcome. Um, We (laughs) wish you had known by now that we end every episode. With a, a wholehearted recommendation in a section that we call Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. John, do you want to go first? Yes, I'll go first because uh, obviously I, I, I talked about my love of this movie and now mm. all that reputation that I've built up is just going to go right down the drain. Because, <laughs> like I said at the, be- at the beginning of the show, I've been very tired recently. This world is just exhausting. And so we, we find time to... F- relax and find frivolous entertainment in so many different forms. And for me, it took the forms of boner jams this week. I was in need of some boner jams. <laughs> what, what is boner jams? What is... Boner jams are movies that just pump you up, pump your, you know, pump your bla- blood full of, like, red-hot rage. Um, okay. So, sometimes, some people call it pornography, John. Did you indulge in pornography? <laughs> no. Uh, in audio form, maybe. Okay. I want to recommend a band to you that, thankfully, the algorithm rhythms that uh, uh, Spotify have bequeathed me with. It's a band called Ninja Sex Party. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I am intrigued. Continue. Uh, Ninja Sex Party. Not aroused, but intrigued. <laughs> so, you know. Well, Greg, by the end of this, you're just going to have a white-hot boner, let me tell you. <laughs> okay. All right. 
Um, Ninja Sex Party is a duo made up of uh, Danny Sexbang and Ninja Brian. Uh, they are cool. <laughs> very cool. They are um, on the surface kind of a pastiche of hair metal bands, a lot of cock rock, but it's 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 very kind of laced with a just a huge heaping helping of irony on top. Uh, if I had to compare it to like the comedy styling stylings of anyone specific, it would definitely be like Ryan Reynolds. It's very much kind of playing in that vein. Um, okay. Every every their albums include <laughs> titles like Attitude City, Cool Patrol, and Strawberry. <laughs> and cream <laughs> so far it sounds a little uh, flight of the concords like yes um, like playing in a genre but also like kind of playing against type or oh absolutely like, like exaggerating yes. kind of like a, a certain comic aspect yeah, exactly exaggerating and obviously playing against type as well because his, mm-hmm. his na- the the only one who actually speaks and sings is Danny Sexbang. Uh, Ninja okay. Brian, he always refers to Ninja Brian, but Ninja Brian is never is only heard through musical instruments. He's never actually, you know, he never actually speaks. And that's the other thing. Like, he, he has intros. They have intros and outros to all their albums. And it's like, hello, welcome to our third studio album, Cool Patrol. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. You're white hot, <laughs> you're white hot ready for some sex. But hold on a minute. By song three, you should be in, you should be engorged and ready for coitus. <laughs> <laughs> and so, he, like, there's a lot of kind of like narration and intersections like that. Like, you know, they'll be like really getting into a song, and you know, the bridge will be done. It's uh, oh, oh, okay, you're still doing the okay. That's cool. That's fine. That's no, no, no. That's fine. We talked about this, but it's fine. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Like, it's very much, like, meta, where, you, like, he, they're playing up the comedy bits as they're recording and stuff like that. And, you, like, <laughs> it, like I said, his his name is, like, Danny Sexbang, and, you know, it's not just enough to be the world's most fantastic lover. It means nothing if you can't play a good game. Let me show you how to hit on women. And, you know, it's, like, a song where he's, like, trying to hit on women. It's like, I'm going to flurble your googogs <laughs> and, like, <laughs> making think of words. Like, hey, where are you going? Uh, she's probably just leaving to think about it. She'll be back. Don't worry. <laughs> like, you know. Like, <laughs> I'm getting some strong Flight of the Concords vibes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Their most popular song on uh, Spotify right now is, like, Danny, Don't You Know, which I was kind of singing a bit before we were recording. But, you know, the chorus is like, mm. Danny, it's him singing to his, like, younger self. It's like, Danny, don't you know that we're all rad as fuck on the inside? <laughs> You're just going through an awkward phase from 12 to age 35. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. And of course, like, again, because it's like a pastiche, like hair metal, it just builds and builds from there until the audience gets into it. It's like, D-A-N-A-Y, he's the Danny, he's our guy. D-N-N-A-Y, he's not uh, afraid to cry. And he's like, what? <laughs> like... <laughs> So it's a lot of fun, like maybe a little too much. Like it's it's very over the top. It's pretty ridiculous, okay. but it's it's very tongue in cheek and fun and just frivolous entertainment. So go for it, have fun. Right. Right. Remember, fun guys. Fair enough. Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you recommended that, John, and, mm-hmm. and full throatedly. I mean, yes. <laughs> usually we have like reservations, and mm-hmm. yeah, because I I want to recommend something else that's also fun, mm-hmm. um, but again with reservations because. I think nobody knows what to make of this. I don't know what numbers it's doing on Netflix. But I want to talk about what came out on Christmas Eve. And that was John Mulaney's latest comedy special, question mark? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. Now, you and I have gone on record. We like John Mulaney. Is that right? Oh, we love John Mulaney. We cannot get enough of John Mulaney. This um, 
I'll cards on the table. I've not watched this yet because uh uh conceptually it just might have been a bridge too far. <laughs> like I just <laughs> I don't quite understand what he's going with with this. <laughs> Maybe. I well that's one thing. Like it feels like it it can't get over that he's he's done this. Maybe you should just view it as like what if John Mulaney just wrote a, an episode of SNL himself? Like what would it mm. look like? Okay. And I think what it ended up being was kind of like family friendly and having songs from a kid's perspective and contrasting like adult sensibilities with the sensibilities of kids in mm. somewhat of a family friendly way. That's it. And so for the first like five minutes, it can't get over like this concept of like, <laughs> <laughs> like John Mulaney doing a kid's special. Like he explains it in one line. He's like, um, I remember watching Sesame Street when I was a kid and now children's entertainment is bad. So I'm going to try to bring it back. That's like, that's all you oh. need to like know really. All right. Okay. But so- like for the first five minutes, it's kind of like talking about like the tone of the show and it, a lot of the sketches are like kind of like funny in concept. They go like, "Oh, that's that's clever." Mm-hmm. Um, the first one in particular, the first number, John Mulaney called from his uh, personal experience. It's it's grandma's got a boyfriend, mm-hmm. and so yeah, and so like the the story that he's trying to tell is that um, his his uh, octogenarian grandmother like has a romantic relationship after his grandfather passed away, and John Mulaney, the young at this point a young kid is like cool with it it's it's his uh mother her sisters uh who are who aren't as um aren't as taken by the idea of their mother like dating somebody else so late in life Mm -hmm. and so um yeah it's kind of like funny in concept what it really what the song really comes alive is when like the the motown chorus comes in to like chime in like don't get involved paul (laughs) 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 so like they kind of st- like all the skits kind of have this like oh funny in concept that- and then they have these like laugh out loud moments. The other one that sticks out in my mind is um girl talk with special guest Richard Kind. Mm. Um, <laughs> where it- I'm laughing already at the concept. So yeah, like yeah, the concept is is great because it is just Richard Kind in his inimitable voice and giant mouth <laughs> talking to three young act young actors, and he says like can-, can I be honest with you, girl talk, okay. <laughs> You you bring up this rapport in a play, and then you promise that you'll be friends forever, and then you forget about them when the play's over. <laughs> yeah. So it's that kind of like adult cynicism against like shaped against the optimism of a kid, and so like that's that's kind of how the sketches go, and it kind of like peters out, like especially around the I think uh, the second to last number is um, a kid's like intoning like pay attention to me he's at, she's at an adult party and nobody's paying attention to her while she's trying to do a musical act and it's mm. and David Byrne like co-sings like oh. um, or at least it's featured <laughs> on the song so it's funny in concept like oh it's like a talking head song with David Byrne yeah but like yeah the, again the concept is just like oh the kid you know isn't being paid attention to so mm. or isn't getting the attention they crave like so it's it it's kind of like straddling this line, like, Ugh, like I don't know what to make of this, but yeah. Well, it's funny you brought up the fact that okay, so he is trying to make something that is kind of like children's adjacent, but he's not doing like a full throated like parody of Sesame Street. Like Lord knows that's been like done to death. So yeah, I kind of appreciate it on that level, but also you're right. Like if you have to like explain, take the first ten minutes to explain what the concept is, you yeah. kind of lost <laughs> the plot a little bit. Yeah, and there there's too much there. I don't know, maybe because they couldn't fill an hour. There's some interstitial interviews about, like, heady concepts. Like, what do you fear the most? Or what do you think about death? And they contribute nothing. Mm -hmm. They're not funny. And so, like, I don't know why they're there other than just to kill time or make this, I don't know, seem seem somewhat um, 
more profound than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. You know, I've 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 been on record in saying that like meta kind of annoys me. I especially get annoyed yeah. with it's like meta for the sake of already doing comedy. Like meta in a in a drama makes sense to me. It's like because you get those contrasts. Yeah. I hate shows that are like behind the scenes of a comedy show we're already doing. Like, yeah, <laughs> you've already got the layer of comedy you're doing. Like, get that done well first. Like, everyone loves Mr. Show, but I never cared for Mr. Show that much. And obviously, you, you're you on record for, like, loving 30 Rock, but it also, like, 30 Rock always never just resonated with me. And I don't know how much this will... I'll, I'll check it out eventually. I'll yeah. try it. But, yeah, I don't see I don't see this really resonating with me that much. Because, again, like, I don't need to see the process behind the comedy. Just make me laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I will say say there there are a few you're right it it doesn't know like what to like i like that it's a singular vision but for some reason there's like a disconnect there like kind of like uh the last jedi (laughs) maybe some people didn't (laughs) didn't appreciate it for being too singular or i don't know trying something different and not maybe not connecting there is some disconnect there Mm -hmm. um however there are some skits i would be like happy to revisit on youtube in particular i want to do the very last one Mm -hmm. that's the one that stars jake gyllenhaal as Mr. Music, and that one feels like the most thought-out, well-planned, and connected, like, kind of parody of a kid's show, because he comes out and he's super exaggerated and wants to sing a song about how he can find music everywhere, mm-hmm. but he didn't prepare, and all the stuff he's, like, he, he's, he, he says produces music, like throwing, a, throwing laundry in a hamper, subtle sound, but you get the point. <laughs> And there's a genius twist in in the middle of that song that had me in stitches. I won't I won't okay. spoil it here, but All yeah, right. fair point. Yeah. All right. Um, I mean, maybe that's the problem. Is like, yeah, he had all these sketch ideas, and he just couldn't figure out like the right thing to put him into. So he decided to cram yeah. them all into this weird like kids musical number. I don't know. Yeah. Again, like I, there there are there's a lot to like in it. Mm-hmm. I would recommend. Well, yeah, it's John Mulaney. It. It's still John Mulaney yeah, exactly. at the end of the day. Yeah. But is it better than just his stand-up routine? Just play the hits, John. Nah, I, I guess that's say. true. Play the hits. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But Greg, Netflix needs content. Content. I know. And isn't it great well, that they give, at least it's... they give uh, comedians a chance to kind of like take wilder swings? Like, yeah, I don't know if and you at saw least it. Yeah, and at least it's different than the regular comedy special. <sighs> I mean, uh, the other thing, too, is I watched this week, I watched a Jenny Slate's comedy special. What's wrong with it? Ugh. It's like have good material to begin with. Again, like she's like going yeah. behind the scenes, going to her childhood home. We get to meet her grandparents. Like who cares? Stop it. <laughs> it's like her regular comedy yeah. special wasn't good enough, so we have to like overstuff it with this other <laughs> stuff that I don't care about. <laughs> yeah, I got the I got the same vibes from the Gary Goldman HBO special. Mm. It's like just be a, just be a comedy, yeah, just yeah, just be a comedy special or a, a gripping documentary about, or at least a very earnest documentary about depression. Don't be both. Yeah, <laughs> like sorry, don't be. I I know everybody's trying to imitate Nanette, and probably. But. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's the other annoying thing about the Jenny Slate one. It's like the big kind of turning point is like, oh, she got divorced. Oh, oh no, heaven forfend. <laughs> Wait, you mean the same thing that millions of couples go through every year? Exactly. Oh. <laughs> but she has to get on stage and talk about it. Oh, the drama. <laughs> she doesn't even go that into that much depth about it. It's just like, as a concept, it's like, oh, can you imagine? Like, yeah. no, but I'm sure a lot of other people can. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't like this 
this concept of like the comedians feel like they have to talk about something or ring laughs out of something like um we also watched tiffany haddish's comedy special oh and she like she had, had to talk about her i didn't even know she had one yeah she well she does i no. i didn't know she was i thought she was just a comic actress i didn't know she was a comedian as well mm-hmm. um but she had a notoriously like bad bit on new year's day or something like new year's eve mm-hmm. like she was doing a new year's eve party at like midnight oh yeah and yeah. like I she heard couldn't like keep track of her like punchlines or anything like that so she had like a, a notoriously bad bit and of course she had to like talk about it and justify it and mm-hmm. it, it wasn't really funny then <laughs> and it's not really funny now so i don't know why she like had to like why comedians feel this need to like oh it's a difficult subject i know what'll what'll pull it out like laughs this is what they're expecting right like no just make like silly observations i guess, i don't yeah i don't mm. it's a weird it's a weird balancing act because yeah we want we want comedians to be more authentic these days i don't think a a straight jerry seinfeld kind of level comedian could i don't know work at the same level anymore I think we want a little bit more, but yeah, just make sure it's good, you know. Don't yeah. just like, <laughs> don't just like cram it in for its own sake. Yeah, Leslie Jones has a new mm. one I want to check out. I haven't checked out Leslie Jones yet, but okay, yeah, yeah. Well, again, at least it's different from a typical comedy special, but it also reminded me of um, I don't know if you've watched. I think you should leave. Tim Robinson's no, show not yet. On... No, that's yeah. another one that's on the queue, on the list. Well, that one also your mileage may vary. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah, stinky. Yeah, but maybe you'll find some earnest. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you'll find some earnest laughs, like the focus group guy. Okay. <laughs> Teach us, pet. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to chastise us for not having caught up on all the latest content, you could always reach out to us on social media for all your angry missives and complaints. Yeah. So we don't we don't do the memes. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have done the stinky guy before. <laughs> stinky, stinky. <laughs> but no, we don't have all the most up to date memes. So please send send them our way on Facebook, facebook.com/aspiringsnobs, on Twitter at aspiringsnobs, and also we're on Instagram. Yes, you can follow us on Instagram. Although I don't. Yeah, I don't know about exchanging memes there. No. Uh, I don't know. Does that happen? I, I guess, but they all come from Reddit, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> okay. No one. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Instagram definitely does not feel like the the where memes are generated as much. But who knows? I'm, okay. I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> I'm <Right>. so tired. <laughs> now, those are public forms of, of communication. However, if you want to get in touch with us a little bit more privately, a little bit more intimately, if you ask me, Go ahead, send us an email at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. We do take recommendations. We'll answer questions while we're recording, mm-hmm. while we're on air. I want to say on air, but that's not technically what's <laughs> happening here. What would happen if we had to do a live episode? Oh, gosh, that would be, oh, that that would would be, be atrocious. Tragic. That Awful. would be her- yeah. terrible. Oh, no, that would be terrible. <laughs> no, I, th- I feel like we'd rise to the challenge. I think we'd be the next uh, Mike and the Mad Dog. To oh, be yes, please. <laughs> You know what this morning zoo needs? More animals. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you, John. Let me tell you, John. <laughs> Certified coffee. He had to, he had to do it. He had to leave. All right. <laughs> uh, well, with all that out of the way, with all that business out of mm-hmm. the way, the only thing left to do yeah. is tell you what we're watching next week. And I would yeah. I would forgive you for uh, not remembering because I I had to look it up as well. But I can tell you. <laughs> Okay. Well, because we did screw up. Originally, we were going to 
base everything around Oscar time, and we forgot that mm-hmm. it was so much earlier this year <laughs> than in years past. So I don't know. I can't remember if we're watching an Oscar movie or not. We but. are not watching an Oscar movie. Uh, next month we will be watching. Ooh, next month we have we have very special programming set up for oh, you people. Oh but we. <laughs> I'll let I'll let I'll let the tone of my voice <laughs> give people a hint of what it is. But no. Um, next week I was just the the mood just struck me, and I was again trying to like. I don't know what caused me to think of this, but I maybe it's the fact that we're all aging, we're all slowly decaying, and the world's coming to an end. So I wanted, I wanted to watch something like kind of far out sci-fi and a little bit crazy. So next week we're going to be watching Logan's Run. Ah, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a good call, John. I mean, everybody extols the virtues of 1970s cinema. I mean, maybe let's delve into uh, one of its, uh, I don't know, cultier or campier. Uh, offerings, exactly. not, not one of these gritty crime dramas or, mm-hmm. sear, or searing character studies, mm-hmm. but instead uh, something far out. Yeah, something <laughs> high concept. Because at the same, you know, Star Wars kind of killed sci-fi, unfortunately. I don't think that was a, <laughs> a it was a consequence of it, or it was intended, but that was definitely a consequence of it. So, you know, let's let's explore yeah, that kind th- of obviously like, Star heady. Trek and and all these other stuff has been completely different. Yeah. <laughs> Greg, you're gonna... talking about killed sci-fi. It killed everything. Had to be science fantasy. It all had to be like hero's journey stuff. It, there was no like high concept anymore. Where it's like, oh, the future is here, but it's dystopia. Yeah. Do you you want to know why? It's boring. Oh wow, <laughs> harsh, burn, yep. real burn. That's how I'm real. That's how I'm real. Yep. I mean, don't let the producers know what your opinions on Doolittle. Okay, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna lose so much clout in the industry. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> that's killed so many careers. Producers not liking each other. <laughs> no, the only people who have lost a career, poor actresses. That's what ends up happening. Yeah. Turns out they're difficult. <laughs> Yeah, it turns out it's difficult to try to break this way into um, an industry composed of 5,000 sex-crazed <laughs> monsters. Uh, fun times. Just had to just had to put that out there at the end of the episode. Yeah. Sorry. To, yeah, sorry. We to, always got to end on a bummer note. Why do we always do that? God. I, I don't know. It's it's the way of life. Right. Uh, how about an ambiguous note, like John? Let's um, let's go to the bathroom (laughs) and we'll tell people next week or at least tease them next week with what we actually did in that bathroom did we wash our face did we urinate did we defecate did we uh, take a shower or um, I don't know clean sometimes bathrooms need cleaning Um, this is true you're right let's let's end uh, like let's end this like a classic European film thank you everybody a suicide (laughs) (laughs) 